When Wall Street gets excited about a new technology, it gets really excited. When you think of electric cars or cryptocurrency, it's easy to dream big. But think about it. How many products actually live up to the hype? Most technology isn't the revolution we're promised. New products can disappear just as quickly as they arrived. When writing about those new technologies, I think about the failures as much as the ones that actually worked. And there's no better example of that than 3D printing. I'm Alex Yule, and this is the third episode of the new season of The Readback. This season, we're doubling down on the past, jumping further back to the archives of Barron's to explore why companies, ideas, and industries thrive, even as others fail to meet their promise. In our frenetic news cycle, those stories are quickly forgotten, but their lessons are vital for our future. Today on the show, the year the 3D printing bubble burst. This story really starts with a violin from Stradivarius, the prestigious instrument maker that traces its roots back to 18th century Italy. But the Stradivarius we're listening to was actually made in 2011, and it was 3D printed. The violin was printed by a 3D printing company called EOS, who made this recording. And this violin kicked off a craze around 3D printing, which would ultimately turn into one of those crazy stock market bubbles. There was an article in The Economist about how you could print a Stradivarius violin that got a lot of attention. That's Brian Drop. He's an industrial technology research analyst at William Blair, and he remembers that Economist article as the first thing that really put 3D printing on people's radar. After years of only being available to the pros, 3D printers are actually hitting the consumer market. We asked our Eric Around this time, in 2011, there were really only a couple of big public companies in the 3D printing space. And it's worth pointing out that technology wasn't new. In fact, 3D printing goes all the way back to 1971. So why the sudden 3D printing gold rush 40 years later? Well, long-standing patents on key 3D printing technology had recently expired, and everyone jumped in. Suddenly, small, affordable 3D printers started flooding the market, from big and small companies alike. And that meant 3D printers being pitched for every imaginable task. They even showed up in a few unexpected places like public libraries and elementary school classrooms. You might remember how it was suddenly a big thing for kids to print plastic stuff during science class. The list of promised 3D printed products was long, from guns to sneakers to chocolate. There were lots of press releases, and I got them all. Not surprisingly, those big 3D printing stocks were on a roll. Over a three-year stretch starting in 2011, Shares of Stratasys, a key 3D printing company, soared more than 500%. Its rival 3D Systems, which was the largest pure play bet on 3D printing, was up roughly 400% over the same period. It really just kind of became a technology that you had to have to show that you're an innovative company. All of these things kind of resulted in the industry catching fire and the stocks that were kind of boring from a lot of people's perspective pre-2011 just started to rip. But the math never quite added up. When we decided to put 3D printing on the cover of Barron's in early 2014, I was suddenly thrown into the hype. I discovered the buzz and promotions were covering up a larger issue. 3D printers had all the problems of your hated office jet. They would jam and run out of supplies at the worst time. When they did work, people were printing novelties, keychains, figurines, and other tchotchkes. 
this wasn't exactly saving the world type stuff. But Wall Street remained bullish, with one notable exception, Brian Drob, who you heard from earlier. I had spoken to him in 2014 for our cover story, so I recently called him to reminisce. You were alone there at that point, weren't you? At that point, there were 19 analysts covering 3D systems, and there were 15 buy ratings, four holds, and, and then there was me at a cell. I'll never forget, I'd go to these events, like there was an event in Europe in December of 2013, and everyone was there, you know, at the 3D Systems booth, and the analysts and investors are all literally high-fiving each other, and I was standing on the sidelines like a pariah. Like, you know, they're like, who's this guy with the cell rating? And yet, Brian wasn't wavering. Right after I downgraded the stocks from May of 2013 to December 2013, 3D Systems went from $47 up to 94 And, you know, I felt like Christian Bale in the big short kind of laying there on my office floor just saying, I know I'm right, I know I'm right, but the stocks were just running away. It's not easy going against the market, which comprises the collective wisdom of a lot of smart people. But Brian sensed a significant level of groupthink taking place. Once the hype sets in, it's tough to change the narrative, even among the market pros who should probably know better. So when Staples said in May 2013 that it would be selling a 3D Systems home printer, it was an immediate sensation, even before a single sale. Here at Staples, partnering with 3D Systems, customer can come in and experience it for themselves. One of our trained associates... People were excited when the headline, you know, Staples is selling... 3D systems printers, and that's obviously a massive distribution channel. Everyone latched onto that. You know, now it's going to be on the shelves of every Staples store. Within a month of the Staples announcement, 3D systems stock was up nearly 30%. But Brian was skeptical and decided to take a closer look. We would call the stores and we would ask the simple question, how many 3D printers have you sold? And they said, no, you know, we haven't sold any. In the end, Brian and his team at William Blair called 112 staple stores. Only four staples had a 3D systems model on display. Only two had been sold. It was just very telling that consumers were not buying the product and that staples wasn't that interested in the product. You know, this was just one dot in a bunch of dots that I was connecting at the time that made it very clear that this was all hype and no substance. Brian published his Staples report in September 2013, when 3D Systems stock was at $55. At first, no one seemed to pay much attention. By early 2014, the stock had soared to $96. But the party was about to come to an end. Eventually, Brian's warning gained some traction. In March, we published our skeptical story. The cover was an illustration of a bear coming off a 3D printer. Here's what I wrote at the time. Lately, 3D Systems has grown better at printing press releases than profits. The company has repeatedly missed its own earnings forecasts, while lowering the bar for the future. And now the earnings misses began to take a toll on the stock, and the company's announcements got more far-fetched. In 2015, 3D Systems touted its upcoming CocoJet printer. We're now using 3D technology to bring Hershey goodness to consumers in unanticipated and exciting ways, 3D Systems Chief Research and Development Officer said back then. The sugar high didn't last. The CocoJet never made it to production. And by the end of the year, 3D Systems announced it was discontinuing its main home printer, 
the one Staples was supposed to sell. So much for a 3D printer in every home. Here's Brian again. One idea that was so important to these stocks and the stock prices that everyone was going to have a 3D printer in the home, that consumers were going to adopt this on a massive scale, was not happening. This isn't to say 3D printing is a total bust. Investors were just looking in the wrong place, and their expectations were way too high. My colleague Al Root has had the chance to see 3D printers in action. My kids did like 3D printing in school, and there was a printer in the entire school, and they did two projects on it. I believe I have a orange plastic Oscar somewhere in my house that was printed by one of my children. That's just Al in his free time. At work, he covers big manufacturing companies like GE and Honeywell for Barron's. So he's seen big 3D printers. Like, really big. You're in a manufacturing plant, and it looks like a sci-fi movie. It looks like uh, these green lasers are sort of scanning, you know, these 3D shapes. And what's emerging is this weird, complicated engine part. It feels like it should go on a spaceship. The technology is amazing. Al is talking about his experience going to the factory floors of Honeywell one of the country's largest industrial firms with a market value of $120 billion. And Honeywell is one of the companies making real things with 3D printing technology. Here's how Al describes the scene. Cement floors, 50-foot ceilings. There's these 20-foot cubes, which are the 3D printers, right? There's racks of what effectively looks like cement bags, but they're metal powders. And it's very quiet. Those metal powders are effectively the ink, the material that gets printed into physical objects. As those 3D printers quietly go to work, something different is happening. While traditional manufacturing methods effectively strip away or subtract material to make objects, 3D printing is known as additive manufacturing. You start from nothing and only build up the materials you need. When it works, that allows for lighter, more efficient parts that can be built one at a time. No need for mass-scale rollouts as on traditional assembly lines. That's particularly important for high-cost, low-production items like parts for airplanes. There are a limited number of large commercial jets out there, and they probably only need a few parts each year. The thing about aerospace versus, say, cars, you don't go to advanced auto parts and get your helicopter engine. You just don't. But with 3D printing, companies don't have to make an excess of those older parts. In theory, they can just print what people need. And it's not just replacements, either. GE, for instance, is manufacturing jet engines with some 3D-printed parts inside. The technology allows far greater customization and no wasted material. Here's Brian again. You eliminate all the nuts and bolts, and with 3D printing, you can take 30 to 70% out of the weight of a lot of these parts. Weight, of course, is critical in things like jet engines where every extra pound requires more fuel. So, if 3D printing is still so great, why hasn't it taken over the world? Well, there's the cost, for one. Those cement materials don't come cheap. The machines themselves are a massive investment, and the payoff isn't going to be immediate. And that's similar to the issue of 3D printing at home. I would love a 3D printer at home, because why not? The question is, what am I going to do with it? Is there an application? I don't need plastic Academy Awards. I don't need pseudo-disposable plastic cups that I can get at Walmart for probably a nickel. 
I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And I think that's always been the problem, right? While the best known publicly traded 3D printing stocks have continued to struggle and never came close to revisiting their crazy bubble highs, there are still big ideas springing up through the wreckage. Stratasys and 3D systems aren't as relevant as they once were, but Brian points out that there are private 3D printing companies having success, and they're worth watching. Some of the most prominent now are Mark Forged Form Labs. They've come out with a very low-cost, fast 3D printer, similar to what 3D Systems offered. Carbon is a really interesting company. And there's kind of a long list of new companies in the industry. As Brian was telling me all of this, I couldn't help but notice. It all sounded a little bit familiar. I wonder if you look to the future, are we going to find ourselves five years out with a new 3D printing bubble where suddenly we have all the same hype we had in 2013 and 2014, do you think? I mean, are we going to go through this whole process all over again? That's a really good question. I don't think so. I mean, the first thing I think about when you ask that question is the Gartner hype cycle. If you don't know the Gartner hype cycle, it speaks to the adoption of new technology, which often follows the same pattern. There's the original innovation, followed by huge expectations, and then the inevitable disillusionment. Some products make it through the test. Then the buzz subsides and the real work begins. Now I think with 3D printing, we're kind of on that more realistic ascent where it's not a really steep adoption curve, but people are realizing it does work in certain applications. It'll be continually adopted. So Brian doesn't see 3D printing as a silver bullet for manufacturing. But he does think it will slowly be adopted more and more over time. As I talk to my investor clients, I think it's better understood now that that's probably the case rather than, you know, it's going to be an overnight watershed moment for manufacturing. In other words, investors seem to have learned their lesson, at least a bit. Here's Barron's Alroot one last time. Great technologies don't always make great stocks. In fact, just as things start picking up, Wall Street always seems to say like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. It's going to be the next big thing. You know, probably one time out of 10, it's the next big thing. And even then, you still got to decide what to pay for it. This was the third episode of our new season of The Readback. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also email us at thereadback@barons.com. Thanks to Brian Drob and Al Root. Check out barons.com for our ongoing efforts to separate hype from reality, especially in the world of tech. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Meta Litzhoft and Katie Ferguson. Our executive producer is Melissa Haggerty. Next week on the show... Microsoft's stunning turnaround. I don't think anybody could have seen this kind of comeback. It's like nothing I've ever seen. I would say that there will be numerous PhD theses purely using Microsoft as the case. And I think that if it weren't for the right person or right people in the right place at the right time, it's arguable whether it would have happened. We'll see you next week. <laughs>